You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. To the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. After these things, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of Yahweh came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed Yahweh. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am Yahweh who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord Yahweh, How am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then Yahweh said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years." But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, Yahweh made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergashites, and the Jebusites. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we cry out to you. We believe. Help our unbelief. Father, may the very words that you gave to Abram speak to us today and put steel in our faith. May like Abram, who we see here, fearful, doubting, may we too, by your grace, take step forward as sojourners looking to that city whose builder and founder is God. May we live unto you and live upon you. May we walk by faith, not by sight. May we do so in a way that magnifies and sets forth Christ. Father, send your spirit and bless the preaching of your word today and strengthen our faith. In the name of Christ we ask this, amen. As we concentrate on the Abrahamic covenant, we notice there are basically four great promises. There's a promise of offspring, of land, of blessing, and of rule. Offspring, land, blessing, rule. Abram will be a great nation, and that really gets at most of what's being held forth in promise here. As a nation, there must be people. These people are said to become as vast as the sands of the earth and as numerable as the stars of the sky. But unlike Abram, they will not be sojourners in a land promised to them. They will be a people with a land. They'll be a nation. Being a nation implies territory, and being a nation also implies governance. Kings will come from Abram, we'll learn in chapter 17, verses 6 and 16. Abram will have a great name, and that's royal language. There will be kings that come forth from Abram. So being a nation involves governance, it involves territory, and in all of this, Abram is blessed, and the reason he's blessed, we're told, is that he might be a blessing. So whenever you survey all this, we might summarize what's being promised here as the kingdom of God. Graham Goldsworthy, the excellent Australian theologian, says that as we look at Scripture, this is what we learn the kingdom of God basically consists of. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. That's the kingdom. That's the original arrangement as we look at Eden. God's people, in God's place, under God's rule. It's what you're hoping for as you see a new humanity emerge with Noah after the flood. It's what you're hoping for now in these promises being given to Abram, God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's what was uh, foreshadowed with the conquest and the possession of Canaan. And it's what comes to an apex of prophetic anticipation and revelation with David and the kingdom. 
God's people and God's place under God's rule. But if we might add a bit to Goldsworthy, it's something that's that we should implicitly understood, but it really needs to be stated explicitly. God's people in God's place under God's rule and thus blessed. That is what what blessedness would mean is, is to come into the people of God living in a place where God dwells with His people. Under His rule, willingly, submissively. This is blessedness. The kingdom of God means not just then the sovereign rule of God. He's, he's sovereign over all. But it means His redemptive rule to bring things back to as they should be. As they ought to be. Peter Gentry, Stephen Wellham have summarized the message of the Bible in this way. Kingdom through covenant. Kingdom through covenant. What is it that the covenants reveal and advance? They reveal the kingdom of God. His redemptive rule to put things as they ought to be. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Blessedly so. And so here we are now at the second of three key passages that unfold the Abrahamic covenant concerning a people and a place and blessing. The first passage was chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, which basically set forth the, the, the promises of the covenant. Abram will be given a land, this land that God has brought him to. God will make of him a great nation and give him a great name and bless him and through him bless all the families of the earth. The final passage that we're going to examine is Genesis chapter 17, where Abram receives the covenant sign of circumcision. But here, the covenant itself is formally cut. And this is, this is I hope you've already sensed it, this is a holy and awesome passage full of the fire and smoke of God's presence. I think it's as if, if you really take some time to slow down and meditate on this passage, it is as though God is, as He is in all of Scripture, but it's as though there's a special presence here. You cannot but escape the, the, the majesty and the glory of the moment that's being spoken of here. You enter into it afresh. And there's something in this that I believe is the whole point of our survey of the covenants. The aim of them is to foster in our hearts fear and faith. To realize something of, of the covenant Lord into whose presence we're being ushered into in this covenant to relate to. And then because of the promises that He extends in that covenant relationship for faith to bloom. I don't want you to be strangers to what you're no longer strangers to, the covenants of promise. And more than that, to the God of these covenant promises. To be no longer strangers means to be brought near. Not near to promises, just promises in and of themselves, but to the God of promise. And to be brought near to Him, to be brought near to His holy presence should mean reverence. But as you hear Him speaking and bringing you near covenantally, there should be a rejoicing, the rejoicing of faith. 
to understand these promises as they come to us from so holy a God should result in a kind of fear and reverence that we see Abram demonstrate here. That it also should put steel in our spines. The spines of our faith. In our passage, we have two covenant dialogues. First dialogue runs from verses 1 through 7. The second one runs from verses uh, 1 through 6. The second one runs from verses 7 through 21. And the first dialogue centers on the promise of offspring. Second dialogue on the promise of land. So the covenant seed, the covenant land. And in both dialogues, God initiates the dialogue. And He does so with an I am statement. He, he initiates it, bringing forth the covenant promises again, laying them before Abram with these I am statements. And so verse 2, excuse me, verse 1, Fear not, Abram, I am. Your shield, your reward shall be very great. Verse 7, I am Yahweh who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess, to give you this land to possess. And in both dialogues, you see Abram respond with a respectful protest, a lament. And he uses a unique title for God in each instance. It is especially unique as he uses it in the Pentateuch. It, it, this, this is found most often, this title, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. In the Pentateuch, it's especially rare. Verse 2. O Lord Yahweh. hope you see one reason there why I think it's, it's good that we use the proper name of God. Where it's, it's in our manuscripts. Normally it's translated, Lord. All caps, Lord. And you can see the awkwardness. O oh, Lord, Lord, if you're going to be consistent here. Two different kinds of Lord. O oh, Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? And verse 7, uh, verse 8. O oh, Lord Yahweh, how am I to know? Now the occasion for these dialogues is after these things. Verse 1. After these things. What are these things? Well, Abram and Lot have separated. Their possessions have accumulated to such a great degree that they go separate ways. And this diminishes any thought that you might have had that, Abram, uh, that Lot would be Abram's heir. The covenant heir. And that, that was supposed to be a suspicion as you're reading along in this narrative. You, you see Abram's adopted him in a kind of way. He's made these promises. Abram is 75. Sarah is barren. Who is to be his heir? You, well, maybe it's Lot. And that you are meant to kind of be thinking along this, this, this way is made clear because after they separate, God comes to Abram and He says to him in chapter 13, verses 14 through 18, Look around, I'll give you all this land and to your offspring forever. Like what's just happened with Lot hasn't hampered my covenant plans in any way. But most immediately, these things look back to the capture of Lot by a coalition of kings that have come against the kings to that area where Lot was around Sodom. And they've pillaged and carried persons and possessions off. And so, Abram, this isn't an image 
our image of Abram, Abraham is so off in some ways. But this should really solidify something of your picture of this man. He gathers his trained men. He divides them. He pursues this coalition of kings that have just pillaged and carried off the possession of of another kings that were arrayed against them in battle. Abram defeats them, pursues them, and recovers all that has been lost, including his nephew. And it's after this that Melchizedek, king of Salem, blesses him, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Genesis 14, 19 through 20. And then to Melchizedek, Abram gives a tithe. In contrast to the king of Sodom who tells Abram, keep everything, all the spoils, only return to us, our people. And Abram says, I've lifted my hand to Yahweh, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I've made Abram rich. I, would take, I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Genesis 14, 22 through 24. And so in light of these things, can you see why these promises that God is laying afresh before Abram are especially significant? Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, before we though, consider those promises in further detail, note the way that they come to Abram. Yahweh, the, 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 the word of Yahweh, came to Abram in a vision. Now, what does that make Abram sound like? A prophet. The word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Later, whenever Abimelech will take Sarah, Yahweh instructs Abimelech saying, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. Psalm 105, 12 through 15 refers to all the patriarchs as prophets, because through them, God was revealing the gospel beforehand. He was revealing His message, His covenant plan to redeem and make things right. God is speaking to us now and He speaks still through Abram, His prophet, and the words He gave to him, disclosed to us through Moses. He speaks to us still. These are promises we should pay heed to. Abram is God's prophet. He received this word and this word is not distant to us as we'll see. He begins by telling Abram not to fear. Why might Abram fear? Why might we fear? Well, as far as Abram, there are three possibilities in this instance. One, he could be fearful because of retribution from those kings that he's just attacked, their kingdoms. He could be fearful, second, because, well, it's the same way that those shepherds were afraid. Whenever the glory of the Lord shone around them, And it really is a clue to why the angels so often begin their messages with fear not. It's just the presence of God in receiving this word that could cause Abram fear. But third, this could be the fear of doubt. 
A fear concerning the promises of God. And they're, they're becoming a reality. And I think that's really where the text... I think something of all three of those is here. But it's that last one that I think is especially in view. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. It's a fear of unbelief. A fear of doubt concerning God's promises. But the promises are, are not threatened. Yahweh is a shield. And His reward shall be very great. And while this reward could have reference to all that's been laid before Abram in, in these covenant promises, I think in particular, it's a reward of offspring, of a covenant seed that's in view here. Psalm 127.3 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Abram will sojourn in this land. It's to his offspring that the land is going to be possessed, that, that it's promised as their possession. If any of the other covenant promises are to have any reality, there must be an heir, there must be a seed, there must be offspring. And that this fear isn't, is indeed what what really is probably in view here is made clear by Abram's protest. Verse 2, O Lord Yahweh, what will you give me? I am your reward. What will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. You've given me no offspring. All these promises hinge on the promised seed. If there are no people, what does it mean to be promised a place? And if there's no people in that place... What's being blessed? And I think the context, the way this interaction continues to unfold, Yahweh's response, Abram's actions, the further commentary we receive make clear that this is not a complaint born out of bitterness, anger, resentment, frustration, pure unbelief. This is a lament that's born out of faith. There is a kind of doubting. There is a kind of fear. That though they are contrary to faith in full bloom, perfect faith. Though those doubts and fears are contrary to faith absolute. Yet they are an expression of faith imperfect. Faith trembling, faith struggling. It's like a child who runs to their father, Daddy, I'm afraid. And their father gives them assurances that everything's fine. And yet, but I'm afraid. In that moment, they're running to their father and clinging to them expresses trust. And all the while, their words are expressing fears and doubts. And so as we look at this passage, look what Yahweh gives His weak and doubting servants. 
What does He give to us to assure us whenever we fear and doubt His covenant promises? He gives Abram. And He gives us simply this. He gives us His Word. When we doubt His Word, He gives us His Word. Verse 4. Abram has asked, what will you give me? Here's what Yahweh gives him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Like Abram, in our fears and doubts, we really want to hold on to something of the promise itself. We want something in our hand. What will you give? But now, in this time, We walk by faith, not by sight. And faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. When you doubt the promises of your covenant Lord, these days of your pilgrimage, what you need to hear are His covenant promises again and again. And you need to hear them as they were from Him. This is why the preaching of the word is, is, one, is critical in distinction from just your private study. Is it makes distinct to you what you should understand in your private study is that the word is coming from outside to you. It's a message from God. Saints, be assured. Our Lord will gather all His elect children, all the children of Abraham from every people, tribe, and nation. Be sure that they will inherit the earth. No, here is Word telling you again in these promises as they come in their incipient form. Know that one day He will return to make all things new. And blessedly so, God's people and God's place under His rule forever. Hear God by His Spirit testifying to you afresh that these things are yours in Christ and believe. May your fears wilt. May faith flourish. And if this is not enough, God gives signs of what is to come. Verse 5, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. The sign adds nothing to the Word. It simply makes the Word evident to our dull senses. Yahweh brings Abram outside, tells him to number the stars, just as our Lord brings us to a table, and He says, eat and drink. The sign adds nothing to the Word. It's just to make clear to our dull senses the truth of His promises. Now, the stars here are not a covenant sign the way that the sacraments are covenant signs. But they do work in a similar way. They make tangible, they make visible to our senses the promises of God. Calvin said, A sacrament is never without a promise but is joined to it as a sort of appendix with the purpose of confirming and sealing the promise itself and of making it more evident to us and in a sense ratifying it. And thus he can later write, the sacraments have the same office as the Word of God. 
to offer and set forth Christ to us and in Him the treasures of heavenly grace. But they avail and profit nothing unless received in faith. So by God drawing Abram's attention to the stars, He simply speaks the promises anew in a different way, in a visible way. And He calls for faith. And in baptism and the supper, likewise, they mean nothing without the word of promise. They accompany the word of promise and they make plain to us what is being promised. They set forth Christ and they call for renewed and strengthened faith. And we read that Abram believed Yahweh and he, Yahweh, counted it to him as righteousness. Verse 6. God spoke and faith was strengthened. Yahweh doubted the word, and God simply speaks the word again. And Yahweh's strength is bolstered. Now it's clear from chapters 12 and 13, and Acts chapter 7, and Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 and 9, that Abram has already believed and trusted in Yahweh prior to this point. But it's right here that the word of God makes clear and explicit to us. It's right here that God purposed to make this truth plain that it's on the basis of such faith in the promises that He counts or reckons His servants just and righteous. So there are two things that, are, that, are, that I think are clear as to why it's at this point He does so. One is made clear whenever you look at uh, Galatians and 3 and Romans 4 is that this happens before he receives the covenant sign of circumcision. It had nothing to do with Abram's works. But the other is, it's at this juncture that's made especially plain that all that Abram has is the word of promise. And upon the basis of faith in that promise, God reckons a servant righteous. Abram doesn't gain a thing. He just hears the promises of new. He believes them and it's upon the basis of such faith that God counts sinners righteous. How is it that sinners worthy of only the curse before so holy a God can draw near in covenant. And the only way is by nothing of our own work, but by God's work, and it's the very work that's being held out here in promise. That through Abraham, blessings would come upon all the nations. Whenever Abram believed these promises, he believed in the gospel. He didn't have it as clearly and fully worked out and teased out as we have now. But these promises are the gospel being extended before Abram. And he believes them. And upon the basis of his belief in them, Christ's righteousness is credited and counted to Abram. This is the critical text in the Old Testament demonstrating justification by faith alone. This is why Paul takes it up. Galatians 3 arguing, Does he who supply the Spirit to you 
and work miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abram, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. By the preaching of the gospel, Abram believed. And by the preaching of the gospel, Gentiles believe and are counted children of Abraham. By the preaching of the gospel, Abram's faith in these promises is bolstered and those promises come into their fulfillment as that same gospel is preached in, their, in its greater fullness and Gentiles believe and thus become the children of Abraham, making real offspring as vast as the stars of heaven, as numerous as the sands of the sea. By the word, faith is kindled in the sinner's dead heart. And it is stoked in the believers. Saints, why do we gather? We come on the Lord's day with our fears and our doubts to hear the covenant words of our Lord anew so that faith is stoked and built up. We come doubting and lamenting, what will you give? What will you give? And our Lord answers again and again with His Word, in which He holds forth Christ. I give you Christ. Saints, until the days of our pilgrimage are over, This is all we have. And this is all we need. When you doubt the word, don't look for some special sign, something from without. Don't look within. Don't Look to your own works to somehow build yourself up. Come poor and needy before your Lord. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens. By the word he gave you your faith. By the word he will strengthen it and sustain you. Yahweh speaks to Abram yet again. This time in reference to the land in verse 7. Before he said it to Moses, long before he said it to Moses, though he explained it to Moses where he didn't to Abram, but long before he says it to Abram, he says to Moses, he says to Abram, I am, I am, I am Yahweh, I am, I am. Remember, Moses is writing these words. And the first audience was comprised of those who, has, who, have, who have been led through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud and fire. Who have heard Yahweh speak from 
the mountain from Sinai, covered with fire and smoke, declaring, I am Yahweh. The V is supplied by translators to make sense of our construing His name as Lord. I am, I am, I am Yahweh. Your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, Exodus 22. And now they are hearing that long before that, He spoke to Abram, their father. I am Yahweh who brought you out of from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. As Yahweh brought them out of Egypt, he brought Abram, their father, out of Ur of the Chaldees. And once again, we find Abram respectfully protesting in faith, O oh, Lord Yahweh, verse 7, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And this time God puts before Abram a much more elaborate picture. Tells Abram to gather these various animals, which he does. And then it seems as if Abram's received additional instructions, or much more likely, I think, he simply understands something of what is going to occur. And he cuts the animals in half and sets the parts opposite one another. What are we to make of this? There's some ancient documents, treaties, covenants, where we have some examples of this being done. But far more significant than any of them are what we read in Jeremiah 34, 18 through 19. Yahweh speaks, The men who transgressed my covenant and did not keep the terms of the covenant that they made before me, I will make them like the calf that they cut in two and passed between its parts. The officials of Judah, the officials of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who pass between the parts of the calf. So clearly this is a covenant kind of ceremony and rite. And the passing between the parts symbolizes the curse of the covenant. So be it to the one who fails to keep covenant. May be cursed, may be rent asunder. Now, with these preparations, a day has passed. Remember in the previous when he received this vision at night, he's told to go out and number the stars. And now with all these preparations, with having chased off uh, the, the carrion that have come upon, tried to come upon the carcasses, now we arrive at, at another day having gone by, and with the setting of the sun, a deep sleep falls on Abram. All comes upon him. And Yahweh speaks to his prophet, telling him that his offspring will be sojourners. You see the prophetic nature of Abraham really brought forward in this. Your your offspring will be sojourners in a foreign land, not this land that you're now on. You're a sojourner, but they're going to be a sojourner in a land that's not theirs for 400 years, verse 13, and they'll be afflicted. But verse 14, salvation will come by judgment, and they'll leave with great possessions, And as for you, Abram, you'll be gathered to your fathers in peace, but your offspring are not to inherit this land yet, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And so you sense that God is not only going to deliver His people by judgment, He's going to deliver them for the cause of bringing judgment as well on the Amorites. And then, when the sun sets, 
God walks it alone. Abram has set the pieces, but God walks it alone. Israel, who has seen their God's presence with them covenantally on the mountain in fire and smoke, speaking forward to his servant, who's been led by this pillar of fire and cloud, now hears that their Lord in this covenant made with Abram, walked through the pieces alone. These are the people who have heard, if they keep the terms of the covenant, these blessings will redound upon them. And if they fail, these curses will surely come upon them. But here they learn that that covenant that they're entering into is built upon this covenant where their Lord walked through the pieces alone and invoked a curse upon Himself if these things don't come to pass. Now, this doesn't establish any real threat to God as though He might fail in some way. What God is wanting to make plain to Abram is the answer to His question. How shall I know? And he begins to answer saying in verse 13, Know for certain. Upon what basis does this certainty rest? The word of Yahweh is sure and absolute. But to double down on that, he extends the very promises as covenantal words. That's what's all this. This doesn't add anything to the word of God. Except to double down. As it were God taking a vow. And an owl, a, a vow. An oath. A covenantal pledge. That these things will be so. And yet. For these promises to be. God. Will be. Cursed. For these promises to be, God will be rent asunder. Covenants are cut. And here you see anticipated that for this covenant to be cut, God Himself must bleed. For this covenant word to come into its fullness. God will be cursed not because of any failure. But because of his very faithfulness to these promises. He will be cursed. Saints. How can you know? You can know because your God has spoken to you covenantally. He's spoken to you by the blood of the new covenant. He is spoken to you by God the Son. Taking on flesh. His body broken. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. When you doubt. And you ask yourself, how can I know His promises are sure? 
He's spoken and he's spoken to you in the sun, writ, bloodied for your sins. Know for certain. He has spoken to you by his son who was cursed so that you might be blessed. He's spoken to you through his son, through whose rent flesh we boldly come to the most holy place before the throne of Almighty God approaching Him as our Father. He's spoken through a Son who has given us the blessed Holy Spirit. He's spoken through a Son who has promised He will come again. And He will make all things new. And thus we will blessedly forever commune with Him. How can we know? What has He given us? He's given you His covenant words and His covenant signs that He has indeed given you Christ. What has He given? He's given you His Son, and as Paul asked, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him for us all, how will He not also with Him, grac- with him graciously give us all things? What has He given us? He's given us the only begotten, He's given us the beloved. No, He will then give you all things in the beloved. What has He given? The Father and Son have given us the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Receiving a new creation, though creation itself longs for it and we with it long for that day. Oh, come Lord Jesus But receiving a new creation is not a greatest blessing as being a new creation. If any of the other blessings are to be, there must be a seed. What is he given? Well, look around. He is gathering as a people from every tribe, people, and nation. There is a seed. And if there is a seed... Trust that all the promises to that seed will come to fruition. Better than new creation as a temple is being a new creation temple, both as persons and as the people of God, the church. What a down payment we have received on the promises of God, certain to come in all their fullness. What has He given? How shall we know? As Israel, as they were hearing these words from Moses, no doubt, look back and seeing how God's faithfulness to all these promises come to greater clarity and fullness, their faith was bolstered. And now we look back on Abraham and Israel in light of the fuller revelation that's come in Jesus Christ, the ultimate Word of God. But still knowing that the full and final hope does lie ahead for us, just as it did for Abram. Knowing all of this, hear again the Word of the living God speaking to you by His Spirit in Christ, declaring essentially here, I 
am Yahweh who brought you out of darkness into light. I will give you the earth made new, the kingdom of God. You, my people, in my place, under my rule, blessedly so, forever and ever. Know this is certain. Fear not. Believe. He is our shield. Our reward shall be very great. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you don't just speak to we, your servants, but you speak covenantally. Your word, just because you speak it, is certain and true. But to we weak creatures and doubting creatures, you speak Binding yourself with vow and oath and covenantal pledge. And you've made those things visible and tangible by the very blood of your Son that stained this earth. Your covenant is established and it is sure. And so forgive us our doubts and fears. And for the sake of His name and His glory, stoke our faith. And Father, we cry out today for any here who've been playing at faith. It's never been real. And we cry out for many of our children. Father, I pray They have heard your gospel promises. And that they are counted righteous before you because of your work. You've granted them faith. May it be so. We look to you and we trust you. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.